Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to it. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's that time of the week, folks. Welcome, welcome. I'm feeling very optimistic, which probably isn't going to shock a ton of you guys and girls, but especially optimistic. It's just one of those weeks. I don't know. The UK tournament always does it to me. Same thing happened with the last UK tournament. But I'm feeling very optimistic. Now, you all know by now, I would hope, anybody that's listened to this podcast for any amount of time, and surprisingly, uh, all the time, I'm getting tweets and Facebook messages and Instagram comments and DMs and whatnot from people that are stumbling onto the podcast that haven't, you know, after 200 weeks almost, that just never sat down and listened to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast and for the first time are picking it up and going, where have you been all my life? So I appreciate the fact that so many of you uh, are still picking this thing up and the fact that after all this time we're still growing. And, you know, as I said before, we are uh, going to uh, uh, tweet the podcast a little bit in the coming weeks and, and by the end of the summer uh, make the transfer over to Not Sam Wrestling officially from Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. But you would, I hope by now, know or at least catch the vibe of this show that the purpose is that this show is what I like to think is the ultimate fan experience in wrestling podcast. And I say that to mean it's by a wrestling fan for wrestling fans where we just kind of talk from the fan perspective. And when I say fan perspective, I don't mean viewer perspective. I don't mean journalist perspective. I don't mean reporter perspective. I mean from the perspective of somebody that only watches things on TV that they get enjoyment out of. And this is the time of the week that we come together and celebrate this thing that gives us this enjoyment. There are times where we'll pick it apart, sure. But it's really a, a, a voice and a conversation for people that are watching wrestling because we still love it, you know, and, and because it makes us feel good and to celebrate that. And this week, especially, I feel very, very optimistic. You know, part of that, we'll talk about it a lot in the state of wrestling this week is because of the two day UK championship tournament and the kind of beginning of NXT UK. Uh, there was, I just watched this great conversation between Triple H and Shawn Michaels that they posted on the WWE's YouTube channel where they're kind of just taking about eight minutes to talk about their philosophy and how really the philosophy of what brought the click together in the mid nineties is what's fueling what appears to be the future of the WWE on one end. And we'll talk about it all in the state of wrestling. On one end, you've got the confirmed uh, uh, announcement 
that SmackDown Live is moving to Fox Network TV for a billion dollars. So the WWE is finally, finally getting treated like a legitimate mainstream entertainment company. And the stock is just like, I look at the stock now and I'm not even happy about where the stock is. At first I was like happy just because WWE was doing well. Now I'm pissed. It's like $72 today or something. It was 35 a couple weeks ago. Now I just look at the stock and I get pissed that I was too stupid to buy any. But on that end, on a corporate end, the WWE as a company is getting treated in this kind of amazing mainstream way. And on a creative end, on what is there for the hardcore fan, even if you get tired of Raw and SmackDown, to come off of NXT TakeOver Chicago a week ago, which was just phenomenal, and is on this amazing upward trend of just incredible TakeOver after incredible TakeOver after incredible TakeOver special. January, March, or April, I guess it was, and June. All the TakeOver specials this year have been incredible. You can absolutely argue that there's a match, at least one, if not two, match of the year candidates on each show. You can absolutely now argue that any of those three is not only the best TakeOver of the year, but the best wrestling show of the year. You can argue. You can argue. You know, I understand that Wrestle Kingdom's in the conversation. I understand that WWE has had its nights, but you can argue that any of those three NXT shows are the best wrestling shows of the year. And then you look at what went down with NXT UK, and it's just amazing. As well as, you know, I I have the privilege of, especially on NXT days, getting to have an eye and an ear somewhat behind the scenes on takeover days when I'm doing the kickoff shows with Pat McAfee and Charlie Caruso. And I get to watch the way Triple H leads. And I get to kind of see this vision that Triple H has that is coming through in the product. And there are all these philosophies that Triple H has that I don't think most people even realize. I mean, he is such a wrestling fan. And I don't think he would ever classify himself that way. But the reason why, if you go to the WWE warehouse, they're amassing this amazing collection of wrestling history and memorabilia from years and years and years. And the reason why probably all these territories are coming to the network. And the reason why somebody like Johnny Saint is announced as the general manager of NXT UK is because of this respect that Triple H has for not only the history, but the evolution and the health of not the sports entertainment, but the pro wrestling business. You know, it really, really, and I don't want to kiss Triple H's ass. That's not what this is about. But everything that's gone on in the last couple of weeks, from a, on a macro level, not on a micro level, you know, I've got plenty of criticisms about storylines on Raw and SmackDown and what could have done better. But really, Money in the Bank was a pretty good pay-per-view. But on a macro level, I have been left this week feeling so optimistic about the future of pro wrestling that it's just something I wanted to share. You know, even little things, like on the WWE Network, 
The inclusion of a show like Bruce Pritchard's podcast, where they go deep behind the scenes, where the priority is now on giving the hardcore fans insight on what was really happening and not necessarily just the WWE narrative, that never would have been done a few years ago. You know, I, I, I've talked about bringing in Peter Rosenberg and myself never would have been done a few years ago because I'm still allowed to do this podcast. Peter Rosenberg is still allowed to be on Hot 97. I'm still allowed to be on Sirius XM. And there is no interference whatsoever from WWE. Bringing in a guy like Pat McAfee, who's doing his show and doing his thing over in Indiana with the Pat McAfee show and Barstool Heartland, but then coming over to NXT and doing what he does. I mean, seeing a guy like Leo Rush debut on 205 Live as Leo Rush, the man of the hour, and and shining and having this gimmick that we can sink our teeth into. But it's not, it's not just, it's Leo Rush. It's the guy that a year ago I watched wrestle Joey Janela in CZW as Leo Rush. The man of the hour. You know, it's incredible seeing Ricochet steal the show on a takeover in an arena in the Rosemont Horizon. It's incredible. The last two weeks have just been so awesome for this stuff, and uh, I thought we should celebrate it. And you know, it's 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 really interesting because as this health is injected into the world of pro wrestling. It's not just about the future. It's also about the way we honor the past. And I think it's really interesting because what's happening is my generation, right? The 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 old end of the millennials. I think technically a millennial is 1980 and above. If you were born in 1980 till, I don't know, probably 95, mid-90s, I guess. You're a millennial. So technically, I'm a millennial, but people people around my age are the very, very old end of millennial. And we were all in high school during the Attitude Era. And we were all in high school, and we lived the Monday Night Wars. It was everything to us. And we grew up with WWE, WWF in the 80s, and Hulkamania, and all this stuff, the, 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 the come up of WrestleMania. All this stuff happening was our childhood. And health has also been injected into the history of wrestling and and the honoring of what we watched growing up and the fact that none of us, the reason we still watch every week is because none of us have let it go. And that's why Bruce Pritchard has a show on the network talking about what happened when Ted DiBiase showed up in 1988 or whatever year it was. And that's why a guy like Tony Schiavone can have his very own podcast and make a comeback into pro wrestling when he really, nobody, he included, thought that it would happen. And that's who my guest is this week, is Tony Schiavone. Of course, Tony Schiavone, I became familiar with him because I was born in 83. I really became familiar with him as the voice of WCW Saturday Night 6.05 p.m. Eastern on the Superstation TBS. It wasn't until later on, you know, know, however old I was, when I first started to get older wrestling tapes that I saw Tony Schiavone pop up on SummerSlam 88 or 89 or whatever year it was and realized that he had done a year in WWE. I had no idea when it was happening. Um, But that was almost just like a little uh, interesting tidbit because Tony 
was not only the voice of Saturday Night, but became the voice of Monday Nitro. And throughout the run of WCW, really, at the end of the day, if there is one voice of WCW, you know, a lot of people did commentary for WCW. Mike Tanay did commentary. Eric Bischoff did commentary. Uh, 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 Chris Cruz, was that his name? Did commentary a lot. Stagger Lee Marshall, Steve Mongo McMichael. Lots of people. Larry Zabisco, the living legend. Mark Madden. Plenty of people did commentary for WCW. Jesse Ventura. But I think as we look back on WCW, now, however it is, 17 years removed, Tony Schiavone really will go down in history as the voice of that company. When you think of who the voice of WCW is, it's Tony Schiavone. And he is really... You know, we just got uh, through that Jeff Jarrett two-parter over the last two weeks, which if you haven't heard the podcast, please do yourself a favor, download them. I uploaded the entire Jeff Jarrett interview onto the YouTube channel. It's 95 minutes, an hour and 35 minutes. So if you want to pop the popcorn, sit down on a couch maybe this weekend and watch as uh, Double J and I have a conversation inside the Not Sam studio, then please feel free to do so. It's a really great watch, but... If you're going to be driving around, if you're going to be going to the gym, whatever, I would absolutely recommend that two-parter if you need something to listen to. Jeff Jarrett uh, over the last two weeks here on the podcast. But Jeff Jarrett was always interesting because as far as wrestlers go, performers, superstars, he was the one guy that after WCW was bought out, never had a WWE run again. Tony Schiavone is in that school too. As much as he was the voice of WCW and as much as his face and voice were a fixture of Nitro and Thunder and all those shows and all the pay-per-views, he never ended up in, in WWE after all that happened and really dropped off the face of the earth in terms of wrestling. Dropped off the face of the wrestling earth. He went and did baseball and stuff like that. He had one sort of bust into TNA, which I think lasted about two weeks in the very early 2000s, wearing a Hawaiian shirt, but beyond that, nothing, nothing from Tony Schiavone until now. He comes out with the help of our pal Conrad Thompson, puts out this Tony Schiavone What Happened When podcast, becomes a member of uh, Court Bauer's Major League Wrestling uh, as their commentator, and it's off to the races. I had the chance this week to talk to Tony Schiavone, not only about what's going on in his life now, but a lot of his career. You know, uh, talking about being in WCW, a little bit about being in WWE, the differences there, uh, going back to WCW and watching the transition happen as Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage showed up, as Monday Nitro became a reality, as Thursday Thunder became a reality, uh, kind of the demise of WCW and where he stands today with WWE. So much to get into uh, with Tony Schiavone. So why wait any longer? Here he is. Thank you for bearing with me on this, uh, just a very optimistic, extra-long opening monologue uh, for Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, my guest this week, Tony Schiavone. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, on the show for the very first time, and I'm glad uh, that he's somehow managed to find himself back into this world of wrestling because... It's uh, it's ended up with us having a conversation about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's the haps? Sam, how are you, man? Good to be talking to you. Uh, thanks for the time. And, yeah, uh, back in 20, I guess at the end of 2016, 
you would have told me that you're going to get back into wrestling within the next year and a half, I would have said, you are crazy. But here we are, and uh, back into it, and I appreciate uh, all the great response that I've had so far, and it's great to be talking with you. Well, was there a time that that, that conversation died out in your life? Like, was there a time when you kind of stopped getting approached by people, not even business people, but by fans saying, well, when are you going to do something? When are you going to come back? When are you going to commentate on a show? Was there a moment when people kind of stopped asking? Because in my mind, it feels like there might not have been. Well, you know what? I, I really don't know. I can just tell you that when I first started on Twitter, uh, and, and I don't know what year that was, uh, I started on Twitter, and, and of course I work in baseball, and I work w- with the University of Georgia, and I started on Twitter, and my, my real interest has always been, besides pro wrestling, my real interest has always been baseball. And when I started on Twitter, I started getting all these followers and all these followers, and every time I would tweet about something about baseball, no one responded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I and then I started getting some some tweets about when are you going to come back? We'd love to see you. We miss you. And, uh, and I realized on Twitter that I, I just better stop tweeting about baseball and football. I mean, Uh, isn't that amazing though about wrestling? And I don't think that, uh, that people who are outside of the wrestling world really grasp that the, the fans and the people that associate themselves with the world of wrestling, I mean, are die hard and never go away. I don't think there's any other industry where you could walk away, have a successful career outside of the industry, be gone for years, probably a decade, if not more. And the minute that people have access to you again, it's right back to where you left off in wrestling. Well, yeah, it really is. You know, I really thought, and honestly, I really thought by the time my career ended up that. Uh, there was no one for me in wrestling again. I, I really thought that fans had had enough of me uh, because I had been so, I thought, overexposed. I did everything. I did all the shows. I did all the pay-per-views, uh, you know, there, there near the end. And the product was not good. And when the product is not good, everybody gets blamed for it. Uh, and I was a part of that blame. So I, I really left it thinking that, you know, uh, no one really wants to hear from me again. And then I was, and you're right. I was, I was, I was wrong. And now we've got people following us. Uh, Conrad Thompson and I have people following us and, uh, they are just, they are just diehard, passionate, love us. And, you know, I make phone calls, uh, to people who buy, uh, our, t- our t-shirts and, uh, they are just like, it's like, uh, a lot of them say, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm marking out right now. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, guys, you know, I'm, I'm just like you. The difference between me and you, we were both wrestling fans, okay? The difference between me and you is that I was on one side of the camera and you were on the other. I'm no different than anybody else. So it, it, it still kind of uh, floors me, and I'm humbled by it. I really am. But uh, they're passionate fans, and they haven't gone away, and thank God for that. The other thing that's great about wrestling is that even if you're right, at the time— there might have been Shivani fatigue towards the end of WCW. What right. happens is you let anything in the world of wrestling rest for a little bit, and the only thing people are going to remember 
is the good stuff. Like the only thing people remember, I'm sure when you're making these calls, you're getting people who, depending on when they grew up, either remember the glory days of Nitro or even before that, remember, you know, calling matches in the TV studio or they remember right. 605 on Saturday nights or, or, or whatever it was. They're going to remember the thing that kind of got them locked into wrestling and not so much, you know, be upset about the bad stuff. Yeah, we all look at the bad stuff and and talk about it on our podcast right. and and refer to it. And I make fun of it, and I make fun of myself because I try to be honest about about what I thought about my work back then, and I try to be honest about what I thought about the product. Uh, it's not always easy being honest because sometimes when you're honest, uh, you may uh, get one of your friends upset. And I consider a lot of people in the business still my friends. Uh, because, you know, either the wrestler was bad or the wrestling was bad or the booking was bad or the promotion was bad. Uh, I seem to think that if you strip it all away, uh, the reason WCW went down was the promotion was bad. In other words, it was run by a television company that didn't know how to run wrestling. So I think uh, that was the underlying factor to what happened to, to WCW eventually. Um but it's, uh, you know, you're right. Uh, they, they remember the good times. Uh, and it's like me as a baseball fan. I remember Reggie Jackson's home runs. I was a gigantic Reggie Jackson fan. I don't remember all the times he struck out mm -hmm. or all the times he hit a, a hit into a double play with bases loaded, which he did many times. You remember the good things. You remember the highlights. Right. And uh, there, there were a lot of those out there for us. Now, is it like towards the end of that WCW run that we were just talking about, does it become difficult for you to put things over because your job as a commentator is to put over the stories and the characters that you're presenting you're selling like like that's that's the the commentator's job ultimately is to sell this product to the people at home you're the last line of defense if you haven't bought into it yet the commentators are the ones that are going to have to put you over the top when you're watching a show that you don't believe in anymore you you're, you like you just said the show was bad in the last, you know, couple of years, do you know, like, oh my God, like I have to do my job here, but this is just destroying my reputation. And I, you know, what, what the hell am I supposed to do after this? I don't, uh, I don't look at it as destroying my reputation. I look at it as, oh my God, I got to put over a bunch of crap. And, <laughs> and I, and I tried to, I got to the point in my career though, to where I got caught up when trying to overhype stuff. And, and that's because they were driving me so hard to overhype stuff mm -hmm. to the point to where it didn't matter what I said, it, it wasn't enough. And I had to pick up the intensity. I remember so many times, Sam, in my ear, be it, and mostly it was Terry Taylor, but Terry Taylor and, uh, and Ed Ferrara was in my ear and there were a couple of other guys in my ear. I, I can't remember who kept saying, you know, push it harder, push it harder. I'm thinking, you know, guys, I, I don't know what else I can say to overhype this, this stuff. And to the point to where I got to a point to where I said, all right, I'll just, I'll just go over the top with it. Right. And, and, and I think it, uh, I don't think it, I don't, I don't think it, it, it hurt my career there at the end, but hurting my career going forward. I don't, I don't think so. As far as moving into other venues and other sports, well, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a challenge there at the end. It really was. Plus the fact that when when things are going badly, it 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 casts a pall on everything, 
Right. And, and everybody's upset and everybody's looking for answers and everybody's pointing fingers, you know, uh, Conrad and I laugh a lot of times and it's kind of a, a running joke with us is that one of the reasons that WCW went down was because I gained weight. Uh, <laughs> And that comes based on a uh, on a, a talk Bischoff had with me. I never will forget it. I walked in and things were going bad. And he sat in his office. He looked at me. He said, "How much weight have you gained anyway?" <laughs> and I said, I, "I don't know. I haven't weighed myself." I said, "But I'll lose weight if you like." He said, "Yeah, I think you should." So, <laughs> I walked, which, I is, which is just that moment, by the way, of Bischoff being frustrated at everything, and right. then you walk in, and and all of a sudden your weight becomes yeah. the epicenter of yeah. everything that this guy is dealing with. Exactly. So the, the running line that Conrad Thompson and I have is that the reason WCW went down is because Tony Schiavone got fat. <laughs> uh, so, so, so again, that all adds into the, the frustration and pushing harder and trying to find answers uh, adds into the frustration of you trying to go out and do your job on, on a regular level, on, yeah. on a good level. Yeah, it's interesting because I was going to ask you, you know, you kind of became notorious for, for hyping things, and this is going to be the most explosive night in the history of our sport, in the history yeah. of our sport, in the history of our sport. And I was going to ask you if at any point people at WCW were going, Tony, it can't be the greatest thing in the history of our sport every night, but you're telling me that they wanted more of that. Yes, they did. They, <laughs> yes, they did. They wanted more of that. And, and the reason that they wanted more of that was they really, Sam, with the exception of sometimes, really didn't listen to me. Right. They would listen to me in spurts. And, and unless you sit down as a fan would sit down and watch the entire show, you're not so sure what I said. Uh, so they would just wanted more. And, and I got... I really got angry sometimes, especially at Terry Taylor. And, you know, uh, we give Terry a lot of grief on our podcast because Terry always did have heat in the, in the backstage area. And he was just the kind of guy, likable guy, but just the kind of guy who didn't know how to shut up. And Terry would all Terry would, would put the headset on the back and he would tell me to say something. And then he would walk away <laughs> and he would talk. He would talk to a wrestler about what's going on. And then he put the headset back on. He'd listen to me. And then he'd push his button and he'd say, uh, I don't know, say that the nature boy Ric Flair is really pushing it tonight. And I'm thinking, I just said that line, Terry. <laughs> I just said that line. <laughs> and Terry and I got into a lot of discussions in the back. I'm saying, Terry, I'll say whatever you want me to say, but listen to what I've just said. And, and that happened a lot. So they wanted to push more and more and more. I really think that, and I'm sure it happens now with, and I know Vince produces his announcers now. Uh, oh, thank God I missed that one. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure it happens <laughs> now that, that when you're at the, the gorilla position or we called it the Jody position back then, uh -huh. and there's so much going on that, that as a producer, you can't always turn your attention to the announcers. But if you want the announcers, I, I've always thought you got to have an announcer producer to do that. Well, yeah, and, and, and at least somebody, I mean, the, the idea, because this is the vision that's in my head as you're painting this picture, is a monitor with a headset next to it that nobody's using, and every now and then somebody walks up to the headset, puts it on, and goes, hey, say this, with right. no idea about what you've been saying exactly. throughout the night. It, ha it happened a lot. Oh, my I God. Mean, a lot. It happened a lot. And and then it, it got me upset, and I probably handled it the wrong way at many times, mm -hmm. to where I just said, you know, the heck with it. I'm just going to oversell this thing, because <laughs> they are not satisfied with what I'm saying, and I'm just going to oversell it. So... Therefore, a match with Lash LaRue became the greatest night in the history of our sport. 
So it became less about like, let me get the show over and more about fine. You guys want over the top. Over the top's what you want. Here yeah. you go. Yeah. Here you I, go. I, this is what you asked for. Exactly. And I, I listen, I don't want to get the, everybody get the impression that I'm blaming somebody else for what I did. Right. Uh, because that's that's not the case. It was me that said it and it was me that came up with all that stuff. But I'm just telling people what added to the frustration, what added to me being this over the top hype machine and kind of what your mindset was. Why? Not the not right. the, not the not the whose fault was it? But why did you do that? Well, here's why you were talking right. about, you know, avoiding Vince McMahon producing you. What would you have preferred as an announcer, though? You know, Vince McMahon, as many horror stories as people have about him producing them uh, through their commentary, he is at least, you know, from what we can all tell, watching every show in as much detail as any person can possibly watch it. He's the one who's producing every single week, and it's his vision. It's his company. It's not like... You know, this week you got Terry Taylor. This week you got Ed Ferrara. Like, there is something to be said. If you're going to have somebody screaming at you to say insane things, at least have it be the same guy every week and the guy who's running the place as opposed to whatever whim some random dude has this week, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. But the the, the flip side of that is, and I'm not there, so I don't know how it happens. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens. But I can envision Vince... I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can do it, even though it's, it's, it would be one person and it would be consistency and that would be good. I don't think you can do your job if someone is browbeating you or screaming at you mm-hmm. or, or hammering you for what you just said or asking you, why did you say that? Or are you crazy or something like that? That may not happen, but I can envision that happening. I can envision that happening with a couple of guys around Vince at the gorilla position for him just to kind of impress the guys. Or, I see. I see. You see? Yep. Uh, so, so, so I think that, I think that to get a wrestling announcer to really do his job, you got to have one guy, just like you said. And if it's Vince with his vision, that's fine. But he, he you're, you can't get a, have a guy do his job correctly. And again, I don't know. You can't have a guy do his job correctly if you're going to continue to browbeat him or be negative. Uh, you gotta, you gotta be positive, and then after the fact, get with him and tell him what he did wrong. Because you can't do your job if you're sitting there thinking, oh, my God, he hates me. He hates what I'm doing. He's mad. Am I doing the right thing? Where, you know, this show is going right down the toilet, and it's my fault. I don't know if that happens, but that would be a concern to mine. And I've just heard stories about, you know, what he says to announcers. And it's all second, third hand, so I don't know if it's true or not. You know, when I worked there for that one year. Well, that's what I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, I had Bruce Pritchard in my ear. And not Vince. Huh. Uh, uh, Bruce worked in the gorilla position with Gorilla Monsoon and was in my ear for the the two pay-per-views that I did. And then when we did voiceovers on Challenge or we did voiceovers on Primetime Wrestling, uh, Kevin Dunn was in my ear and they just let me do my thing. But the live shows, it was Bruce uh, and uh, everything else was taped. Uh, with the exception of, I, I, did a, I think I did a live, well, I know I did a, a live show or maybe two uh, for M- uh, MSG Network, mm-hmm. uh, and I did something for uh, the New England Sports Network, and Lord Alfred and I went over to England and did a uh, did a show over there in London for Sky, Skyview or Sky Network or whatever. Uh, and I think Bruce was our producer over there at that time as well. So, but, but Bruce, I never had I never had Vince in my ear. And did Bruce not heavily produce you? 
Uh, no, he didn't heavily produce me, but he did produce me. I see. He listened to me. He was there listening to me. No question. When did that kind of start? Like, when did it become a regular thing that there's going to be, this is what we do, this is how wrestling works, there's somebody in your ear as we go who's saying, say this, say this, say this, say this. Mm. You mean with WCW? And yeah, I guess that yeah. that that would be that would be your expertise. It, it it had to be it had to be late, it had to be late when things were going down. I would say, huh? Maybe it maybe in ninety late ninety or middle of ninety nine, uh, late ninety nine two thousand that time. Because again, huh? Everybody is trying now to come up with the answer of what's going on, so they're blaming everybody and they're going to overproduce it, and. And that's what it started, uh, you know, for most of those years. Uh, and, and then that's why people ask me uh, the line that I said about Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. Uh, was that something that I thought about saying no? Was it something somebody told me in my ear? No, because nobody was talking to me at that time. Right. In my ear. Uh, so it, uh, it, it, it began when we started to go downhill and I started getting overly produced and, uh, up until that time, Sam, I got produced, but again, I got produced sporadically. Right. It was again, just a line thrown at you. Yeah, it was whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, so that's how it all happened. But even when, that means when Bischoff left commentary and became more of a character, and, and this was what, like, you know, 97 ish, 98 ish. Yeah. He was not producing commentary. No, not at all. Huh. He, he, had, he had a lot going on. I mean, he ran the company. And when you run the company, uh, and maybe it would have helped him had he produced me and then he could have, he could have, uh, you know, uh, ignored all the other stuff, but I can just envision in my mind in the back being the boss of the company and the show live show going on and you're a character now and everybody comes to you with every different problem that they have and everybody comes to you trying to butter you up and try to get it. It's just, it, it had to be a nightmare for him in the back uh, to run the company and be a part of all this. How did you feel? We'll go way back to like 94, yeah. I guess. How did you feel? You know, you're doing WCW Saturday night at this point. You've been back from WWE for, you know, six years or something like that. When you find out that WCW has signed Hulk Hogan, because, I mean, I was watching, I probably started watching WCW in the very early 90s. And while it was its own thing, at no point did it feel like a credible threat to what WWE was doing at the time. It just wasn't, it, it, it was what it was, but it wasn't this sort of threat that it became. And I don't think that conversation was really even happening until Hulk Hogan came over and then Randy right. Savage came over. What was going on in your head after being with the company for as many years as you had been with them when those things started to happen, when it wasn't just talk anymore, Hulk Hogan's actually here. It's not just talk anymore. Randy Savage is actually in the company. Well, I thought we we finally had a chance, mm -hmm. and uh, I to be honest with you, before that time, I I thought we were going to go out of business. As a matter of fact, and and it's, it's something I talk about a lot. Uh, as soon as I arrived back from the WWF at that time in 1990, there wasn't a day that went by, Sam, or a week that went by that I thought they're going to close this place. They're going to just you know write off the losses and say the heck with it. We've had enough of this. And I really thought that. And then, of course, Eric took over and uh, things started happening, you know, uh, once that he signed Hogan and once all these stars started coming over. Then we got Okerlund and we got uh, 
Heenan. Yeah. Uh, and and then I felt good. I felt like we're doing things the right way. Uh, so I I really I was really excited about Hogan coming ab- aboard, and I was really excited about Savage, and of course as I said, Okerlund and Heenan because I had worked with all those guys in the WWF for one year, and I knew how professional and how good they were at their job. And I thought, finally, we're getting people in here that knows what they're doing. Early on, when Hogan and Savage are there, but we've already gone through the Vader match, we've already gone through the Ric Flair match, and now we're stuck in this era where Hogan and Savage are fighting the Dungeon of Doom, and it's still, you know, it's this thing where we have all these big stars, but what are we doing here? Did you look at that in that moment and go, oh, my God, we've got all these names and we're still not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I did look at that, but I, I, I just kind of brushed that off and tried to move forward because I always thought that something would happen, Mm -hmm. uh, that would, uh, would give us, would give us a a jolt, but because one thing that WCW always wanted, and this was from the time that I came back in 1990 up until Hogan arrived. And even of course, a couple of, uh, uh, months after that or whatever one thing that WCW always wanted was to get the mainstream rub from actors from athletes we never got that right they always had that in the WWF we never had that and when Hogan and Savage I start turning to us on a national level and all you know I mean like the first Hulk Hogan uh, pay-per-view match that we had at Bash of the Beach in Orlando Shaquille O'Neal walks out with him mm-hmm Shaquille O'Neal would have never even would have never looked at WCW had it not been for Hulk Hogan. And then, of course, moving forward, you know, Jay Leno and, you know, and and to me still one of the biggest moments for our company. I don't I don't I don't just and I'm lumping everything together. One of the biggest moments for our company was when I saw Eric Bischoff in Jay Leno's desk on The Tonight Show. Unbelievable. And I remember looking at thinking, holy crap, we've we've really gone big time now. Yeah, we have really gone big time. I mean, that was I I, I can't put it over enough <laughs> without saying that was the biggest moment in the history of our business. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was it was it was it was staggering. It, it really was. And it, it blew me away when I watched it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how and, could it not, especially coming right. from a place where really. You know, I know it was whatever it was, seven, eight years removed, but when you're living it, you know, the days go by quickly. In your mind, you're not that far removed from coming in every day going, I think we're going to go out of business, to now Eric Bischoff is sitting at the Tonight Show desk. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it was it, it was it was gigantic, and uh, it was the rub that it was, to me, it was the the high point of the rub that we always wanted. And I remember looking at that and not only, you know, being stunned, but looking at thinking that, you know, Bischoff finally did it. He finally brought he finally brought this company exactly where we've always wanted to be and exactly where it should be. I think that is we talk about the the Monday Night Wars and the wars back then. I think that was one of the biggest blows ever. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you could argue against it. How did you feel when Nitro? became the thing because of course you know you were you were mr wcw saturday night and yeah and and it's interesting because people who don't know who didn't live through it don't really realize what a sort of a, a a franchise and a foundation for the whole company 
the Saturday night show was. I mean, it, right. it's looked back now as kind of this sort of sideshow thing, but for a long time, that was the show. Um, to move from that to announce we're doing a live show, we're going Monday nights, this is a whole thing, and it, it goes right alongside the Savage-Hogan conversation. But were you optimistic that, okay, now we're really going to compete, or was it more like, whoa, guys, I, we're not we're not ready to do this? Uh, no, I was really optimistic about Nitro. I wasn't optimistic about Thunder, right. but I was about Nitro, uh, very much so. Now, as a producer, because I was I was producing as well, I was, and because there was a part of me that remembers, you know, when I first was, when I first got on TBS back in 1985, there was a part of me that was upset because all of a sudden, and it happened very quickly, all of a sudden WCW Saturday night became non-essential. Right. And it became a, just a, basically a show that was, where he played the angles that you saw Monday on, on Nitro. Or then you saw on Thunder, and it it became, it became a, a B show, C show, whatever. And it, but the good news about that was, they relied on me and Arn Anderson and Jimmy Hart, to uh, run that show. They they when I say they, I guess I'm saying Eric, mm -hmm. and the quote unquote whoever was booking at that time. They didn't give a darn about WCW Saturday Night, not at all. And uh, it was up to us to try to make it work. And we took a lot of, a lot of pride in that. But again, to answer you, going back to answer your question, Nitro, I thought, man, this is something. But then when they, they put Thunder on top of us, I thought, uh-oh, we're, we're going in the wrong direction here. Yeah, why, why was that with Thunder? Was it just because we're taking this great product and now we're stretching it way too thin? Was it yeah. because we're already petering out as it is? What are we adding another two hours of TV for? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember the I remember the inter I remember the uh, the meeting that Eric had with all of us, and we were just there was a big part of the office we had we were you know we had uh, been so big that we expanded and we took more parts of that tenth floor at the CNN Center South Tower. I think it was tenth, could have been twelfth, but anyway, uh, there was this big room, and we all walked in there. We were all standing up, and he had people come up from, from production. And he said, there have been rumors floating around that we are going to have a two-hour show on TBS now on Thursday nights. He said, I, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we can do it from a talent point of view. I don't think we can do it from a production point of view. So unless Ted Turner says, you're going to do it, we're not going to do it. And a couple of days later, a week later, I guess Ted Turner says, you're going to do it. <laughs> Because it was thrown in our laps. Eric didn't want to do it. But that's, by and, the way, that's so bad for morale, too. When the boss is saying, well, I really don't want to do this unless we yeah. absolutely have to. Because right. now, when it happens, everybody who was in that meeting is aware, I guess we absolutely have to. Yeah. So, and, and what does that do, Sam? That goes back to what I was saying. That the, the underlying factor that WCW went down was because right. it was run by a television company. Right. They didn't care. Uh, oh, you... You know, you've got you don't have enough wrestlers. That's okay. You don't have enough production personnel. They'll make it work. That's okay. We don't need to add any more money to it because you guys have done it before with Nitro. But the, what's and, amazing is that theoretically, Eric Bischoff and the decisions that he was making were what was making Nitro the powerhouse that it was. But when it comes time to make more decisions, which is here's a decision we're not going to do this Thunder show. We don't trust that guy anymore. We're going to yeah. do it anyway. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That. 
And I had heard, and you may know as well as I do, I had heard that Eric was very close to a deal with NBC until the Turner people got involved in it and mucked it up. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that's the truth or not, uh, but that's just things that I heard back then, uh, because I know, I know how, I know what, I knew what type of person Eric was. Eric told me one time, he said, you know what? I, I love announcing and I love wrestling. He said, but I love doing deals better than anything else. <laughs> I love making deals. And, uh, so I'm sure that he was behind the scenes trying to do every type of deal, you know, the deal with obviously with Jay Leno and yeah. And and some other things that he that he had done for us, you know, doing a deal to go to Sturgis. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I I know a lot of people didn't like that. I absolutely love going to Sturgis. Well, what, I was uh, going to I was going to what was your favorite pay-per-view to do? Because WCW had a lot of pay-per-views that came off as pretty specific. Sturgis and Road Wild was one of them. Uh, of course, Fall Brawl and War Games. Uh, Halloween Havoc when you were doing the spin the wheel, make the deal matches. Uh, you know, there was Starcade. Did you have Bash at the Beach when it was super beach themed? Did you have an event that to you is like, I really love calling this event? Well, to me, I always thought, and of course, Starcade is the one that's ingrained because that was the old Crockett premiere show. Mm -hmm. uh, but to me, it was always Halloween Havoc. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, a couple of things led into that. I always thought that for some reason, if you go back in time, and I may be wrong, but I'm just looking at it from afar now, for some reason, we always had our best matches there. And it became one of our bigger events. I thought it was a great theme, Halloween. Uh, and, you know, we got to go to the MGM uh, Grand in Las Vegas and do it there. Uh, and, uh, we even had it sponsored by Slim Jims at one time, right. if you'll recall. So uh, yeah. I always I always thought that was a good event for us. That was at a good time. And I, and I cannot, you know, because I'm a baseball guy, uh, I can almost remember every, where I was uh, at uh, every Halloween Havoc because I can remember who was in the World Series at that time. <laughs> uh, I remember when the Yankees beat the Braves in the 1996 World Series, uh, we were in Las Vegas. My wife and I were at the craps table. In Las Vegas, and they had it on a big screen. And uh, I can remember when the, the Florida Marlins beat the Cleveland Indians mm -hmm. a year later. Uh, I was in my hotel room uh, when, the, uh, when the Indians committed that error that gave the Marlins the win. I was in my hotel room ironing my tux. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 just, I just remember Halloween Havoc. I loved, I loved Road Wild because uh, we got to go out to Sturgis, which I had never been. Anybody, I don't know if any, anybody who's never been to South Dakota and the Black Hills needs to take a trip out there because it's spectacular. And I got to drive because I love to drive. And we would drive from we would drive from Sturgis on a Saturday night, have a day off on Sunday, and I would drive through Wyoming down towards. Well, we had, I guess we ran Cheyenne at one time. We would go into Denver, and I would drive that, and I would see. Uh, so I love that. Uh, but wasn't then, wasn't the show itself like insane with the amount of people that? First of all, I think it, it was a free show in the sense that people were riding their bikes up and people were throwing stuff at the ring and, and, and revving their engines the whole time. Like, wasn't it kind of an insane undertaking, the show itself? Yeah, not for me. Uh, because <laughs> I, <laughs> you could do your I, job. I, yeah, I just, uh, I just uh, you know, there, there are shots of me looking like a fool with a leather jacket on <laughs> and a cap and everything. Yeah. I just... Uh, I just did the announcing that day, and that was that was one thing that I liked too. That I was a producer, 
But as Nitro became hot and we did our pay-per-views, when I got to the arena or in the case of Sturgis to the parking lot that day, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was just an announcer and I, I didn't have to be concerned about the, the headaches were guys like Craig Leathers and, and Keith Mitchell and, and though, and David Crockett and those, those are the guys that had the headaches of putting those, the show off. I was not involved in that. So back to Tony Schiavone in just a minute, but the summer is here. You guys can't just sit on your butts and allow life to pass you by. You have to seize the day, carpe the diem and be a part of these things that are happening around you. I'm talking live events. I'm talking concerts. I'm talking baseball games. I'm talking wrestling shows. I'm talking comedy shows. I'm talking Broadway, New York City. And how are you going to be a part of it? You're sitting there saying, Sam Roberts, I don't have tickets to these shows. Half the time they end up being sold out. The other half, I don't know what I'm buying. I don't know where my seats are. I don't know if they're authentic. I don't know if I'm getting the best deal. And I simply can't put myself through that right now. Well, my friend, I have news for you. I've got the easiest way to get tickets to whatever you want with the guarantee that not only will the tickets be authentic, but you're going to get the best deal that you're going to be able to find. It's with my pals and your pals, very deep, personal, close, longtime friends to this podcast. It's SeatGeek, of course, the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. That is SeatGeek. I've got the app on my phone. It's real easy. You go to the app store, you look up SeatGeek, you download the app. You can go in there and you look for all type of events. Let's say you're going to be in New York in August. You heard there's going to be a live Sam Roberts wrestling podcast. You want to be a part of it. No problem. You're in New York anyway. I want to go to the NXT show. I want to go to SummerSlam. I want to go to Raw. I want to go to SmackDown. How am I going to get there? Look it up. Just search those things in SeatGeek. The events will come right up on the SeatGeek app. You'll be able to tap them. It'll open up. It'll show you a seating chart of every seat that's available in the building on SeatGeek. And those seats will not only show you exactly where you're going to sit, but they're color-coded so you can find out what the best value is. It is flawless, and you're not going to be able to make a mistake. It is that easy. Best of all, if you're listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast right now, not only am I going to guarantee you the best deal by using SeatGeek, I'm going to make the deal even better. My listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Yes, your first SeatGeek purchase, you're getting $20 off. Get a $30 ticket. It's only 10 bucks. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. Download that app on your phone and enter the promo code SAM, S-A-M. You do that and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. It's SeatGeek. Thank you, my friends. Back to Tony Schiavone. When you would have moments uh, in WCW, when things were going really, really well, there would still be these moments where it's like you would just miss. I think the Sting-Hulk Hogan build, that first build when Sting became the Crow and Hogan went NWO and the fake Sting and the whole thing, that it was, what, like 16, 17-month-long build. I thought right. the build itself was one of the best builds ever. The build to that match at Starcade from beginning to end, that whole story one of my favorite rivalry stories ever told in any company. I think that, that it gets ignored because the execution of what happened in that match was a disappointment and was sloppy and, and didn't end up really doing good for anybody. When you would see something like that, right, like you know as a fan, you know and you've watched the whole thing because you've been doing the, the call for the whole thing. 
when you watch something that has the potential to be so good and you know this is classic wrestling what we're doing and the ending is botched as badly as that Starcade 97 ending was do you sit there and go like well that's that's what WCW is like uh, this sucks or do you go okay you know that match didn't turn out so well but we got a lot of stuff going on we're still hot what's next no, I, I look at something like that, and I, I can point to other things, like the Hogan Warrior match. Yes. Uh, and the finger poke of doom. Uh-huh. I, I can look at things like that thinking, what in the hell are we doing? <laughs> and uh, thinking that, you know, cumulative, uh, it, is, it is hurting us. Yeah. And, and it, it, yeah, it's a downer. It really is. Because there is no question, you know, no question. That I, don't know, I don't know what happened. I don't, and I still don't know the story to this day. You may know the story, but uh, Nick was supposed to have a quick count, mm-hmm. which is still a bad storyline anyway. I mean, put Sting over, yay, he's a champion, you know, uh, and everybody's happy. But he was supposed to have a, a a quick count, and I've seen it since then. He didn't have a quick count. No. And we were we were supposed to say as announcers that was a quick count. Well, my God, now it's pretty apparent that. Uh, the finish was the quick count and we're going to say it was a quick count, even though there wasn't one. Uh, and you know, I mean, you could look at that match really point to that thing. And so that's the beginning of the downfall for me. I I, I think so, because it's, it's, it's to me, it's more damaging. It's one thing to do something really, really poorly. It's another thing to take something with the potential to be amazing and then do that poorly when you when you've done everything right leading up to this thing, and then in that you know in that last play, your last at bat, you screw the whole thing up. So you, right. so your year and a half of work, right. you know, is now worthless. I think to me that is some of the most damaging stuff you can do. Yeah, I, I, you're exactly right. Uh, and I will I will even go a little bit further as saying this. I um, my last show with the WWF was WrestleMania six at Skydome. And uh, I I was a producer in the back. I didn't announce that that event. Uh, it was Jesse, I believe it was Jesse and Gorilla. And uh, that Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior match mm-hmm. I thought was tremendous. Yeah. I thought I thought it because it was booked and executed perfectly. Yeah. Now Fast forward to our match with Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, one of the worst ever. Right. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So they knew how to do it, and we didn't. And, and to me, that's the bookends of the of the crux of the problem. You have the same two guys at Skydome executing the match to perfection, and then you have us, just something horrible. Right. And I, I think that says it all. Yeah. Um what do you? What about a, a, a Bash of the Beach? I'm sure you've talked about Bash of the Beach two thousand, you know, one hundred fifty thousand times. And by then, I would imagine that would be the period of time where you would kind of realize, you know, you're practically throwing the towel in because you're like, I, I don't know what we're doing anymore. Right. But how much of what happened at Bash of the Beach two thousand between Jeff Jarrett and Hulk Hogan did you know? What were your feelings on it as it was happening, and and what are your feelings as the show continues after Jeff Jarrett does the laydown and Hulk Hogan does the promo, and then Vince Russo comes out and does the other promo, and 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was an interesting moment because I remember a lot about that. First of all, I I didn't know what was going to happen, and and all of that was a shock to me. 
But then when uh, when Vince Russo came out and did that famous promo calling Hulk Hogan a piece of, you know what, piece mm-hmm. of crap, uh, all of a sudden it hit me. This is a work. This is an absolute work. And, you know, Russo and, and Vince and I are still very good friends. A lot of people don't like him, but I liked Vince a lot because he – he was in my corner, he, you know, when people were giving me a hard time, he relied on me and, uh, we became very good friends and he, he did some stuff that wasn't good. A lot of stuff that wasn't good, but he did a lot of stuff too, that I thought was very good for the company. Like for instance, he organized for the first time ever a production meeting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, I mean, well, it's wild that that, that, that wasn't yeah. happening ever yeah. before. Right. Yeah. It, it was a perfectly executed production meeting. I remember thinking, oh, this is the way it was done in 1989 <laughs> with Vince McMahon. <laughs> and here it is. All of a sudden, he's here 10 years later, and we're doing it right. <laughs> so I always appreciated that. He went out, and he did that promo. And when the show ended, I went in the back, and uh, I, I saw Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy said, so what did you think about that, darling? And I went, I don't know. What did you think about that? And he kind of looked up in the air, you know, kind of like, geez. And uh, Jimmy thought it was a work, and he was close to Hogan. I thought it was a work, and I made it known that, you know, I, Vince is trying to work the boys. And you, you're, I mean, the, the if you'll recall the Diamond Dallas Page angle with Buff Bagwell, mm-hmm. where they got in the fight in the back of the Pepsi Center, mm-hmm. and everybody is saying, hey, they got into a real fight. I went, baloney, it's not a real fight. Okay, they're trying to work the boys, and they're trying to create a— uh, you know, uh, some backstage stuff for dirt sheets to write. Oh, this is real. Uh, so I didn't believe that. Then I didn't believe what happened to bash at the beach. And I let it known. And Vince called me when we got home, Vince says, Tony, I need to talk to you. You actually don't believe that that was a shoot. I said, no, I don't. He said, it upsets me that you think that I would actually do something like that and make it a work. I said, Vince, I, I, I may be, I don't know, maybe jaded. I may be tainted. I don't know what it is, but I, I think it was a work. And then, of course, then it went out that it was a lawsuit, and I still don't believe it. To this day, I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, did anything ever happen to that, about that lawsuit? I don't know. You know. I mean, I don't, I don't, if, if it did, it was, it was totally sealed because I've yes. never heard of anybody. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are workers, like pro wrestlers. Yeah. Okay. Lawyers are workers too, buddy. <laughs> uh, so it it was it was one of the biggest angles ever, I think, or the big the attempt at one of the biggest angles ever, and that shocked everybody. But I'm like, eh, come on. But why do you suppose? I mean, what was the what was the payoff then? Was it just yeah. one of these? The payoff was just to get everybody talking. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the payoff. To and get everybody every, talking. And I mean, we're now into it's 2018, and yeah. we're still, you talking. know, we're still talking about it. So <laughs> I guess right. I guess it paid off. Yeah, yeah. Russo, you know, Vince and I have talked since then, mm-hmm. uh, and Russo came up with a great point. And this was, I guess, I haven't talked to Vince in like maybe four or five months, but Vince will say, you know, people remember that moment, and they, st- as you said, Sam, they still talk about that moment, but they can't tell you who wrestled on Raw last night. And he's right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. and and he's right about that. Yeah. The question then starts to come in: Do those words translate to dollars? Right. Exactly. Right. Was and, it worth it? Right. right. You can be really yeah. good, and I think that that's why 
you know, that's why Vince McMahon is unique. And that's why most of these companies need a multifaceted approach. Cause there are people that are really good at making money. There are people that are really good at getting people to talk. And there are people that are really good at putting on matches and you somehow have to get all three of those elements to combine. Right. To put on a successful wrestling show. No question. Um, how is your wife Lois dealing with her new fame? Because I turn on raw and I do. Maybe I don't remember every match that happens on Raw, but when I see a Lois Rule sign yeah. <laughs> on Raw, I kind of, I kind of can't believe it. Um, of yeah. course, she's a big part of your podcast and has been from day one. How right. does you know? Not only your wife, I guess, but you know, you did the podcast live from from your daughter's wedding, like all right. the the entire Shivani family, more so than your entire career in wrestling. Because when, when, when you were in wrestling, we knew Tony Schiavone, the broadcaster, but we really didn't know anything about you as a person. Now, right. that's kind of all out there. Everybody knows your family. Everybody knows what your interactions are like. How has, how has that been, uh, kind of uh, uh, lifting, lifting the curtain and unveiling your private life for everybody to see? Well, first of all, it's been profitable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's what counts. <laughs> right, that's what counts. Uh, number two, it's uh, Lois says... You know, I always knew because, you know, we've been married 37 years now. Uh, she never liked wrestling. She never watched it. She was never <laughs> interested in it. Okay. Uh, we would go to shows. I think she went to one show with us. And that's because uh, Mike Tanay's wife, Karen, was there too. Mm -hmm. And so she went to one show with us. And that was, uh, I think, at the, the new Boston Garden when we did a show. Uh, but she didn't care about it. She didn't like it. She never watched it. Uh, she would get mad at home when the kids would, uh, and I have four boys and they all loved it when the kids would, you know, do wrestling moves on each other. Uh, as a matter of fact, we went out to dinner one night and this is back when I was in the WWE or WWF back then we went out to dinner one night. We actually went into the city, New York city, and we had this girl, uh, Leisha Murphy who was work with me, but she was also babysitting. The kids were very young back then. And Chris, our middle son, picked up one of the twins who was very young at that time and body slammed him on the, in the foyer and cracked, <laughs> his, and cracked his head open. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And uh, or gave him he had to have stitches. Yeah. And that was while we were gone. And I remember Lois coming back in the next morning once, uh, you know, Alicia took the kid to the emergency room, got it all patched up and everything. And I remember the very next day, Lois says, no more wrestling in this house. None. You're not watching wrestling. If you want to know about what happened, your dad will tell you. Okay. So she didn't like it. And I know it's a long way of getting there. But now, you know, I always knew that she was very funny. I, I mean, she's, she, that was one of the things I loved about her when I met her. She was a hilarious person. And she would say things without realizing what she was saying. Like, for instance, on the, uh, on the podcast from the wedding, Conrad asked her, uh, have you ever been on space mountain and she said yes he says what did you think about it and she said i wrote it with my eyes closed <laughs> now in the wrestling vernacular right that's pretty that's pretty funny yeah but in real life we convinced her years ago at disney to ride and she hates roller coasters to ride space mountain <laughs> and she was so scared she just closed her eyes the entire one until it was over <laughs> so she really did ride space mountain with her eyes closed but then again, the way she said it was just spectacular on that podcast. So, you know, we, we made it our website uh, to go to Pro Wrestling Tees to get our uh, to get our T-shirts. Uh, and when I when I saw Lois Rules at WrestleMania, 
I went bonkers. Yeah. I, I said, you got to see this. I went into the house and I and I and I, somebody had tweeted it to me and I showed it to her and she couldn't believe it either. <laughs> so, so she's handling it okay. Uh, it, to to her, it's it's not a big deal. Uh, but uh, you know, we're doing some things. I mean, we're starting now on Patreon, uh, Life with Lois, Volume One, Two, Three, Four, and Five. Oh my God! And and it's just it's just me reacting to her being her. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it, it's really good. It's it's really helped us out a great deal. And then she said to me, it wasn't long ago, she said, so how much am I getting paid for all this? <laughs> I said, uh, I don't know. Next time you go into the store and use that Visa debit card, <laughs> yeah, just remember, <laughs> there's no limit on that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and again, she just does it for fun. So, you know, we have a lot of fun with her. Anybody that knew her, uh, like her and Dusty were, were really, really tight. Yeah. She loved Dusty. And uh, because uh, Lois is... Uh, is, is a lot of fun. She's old, uh, really old. She's ultra right wing, which drives me crazy. Uh, and I don't, I don't mind right wing, but I just don't like ultra right wing drives, drives me crazy. And, uh, she loves her kids and, uh, we're all having a lot of fun with it. That's great. Have you heard from either any of the women that you've talked about, uh, how much of an affinity you had for back in the day or any of the boys that you've now kind of, uh, made a point to point out when they're not acting at their greatest on these shows that you guys watch. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've been in touch with Medusa a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was one that was, that I was thinking right. of. Yeah. Medusa and I have always been very good friends uh -huh. and, uh, she is, she plays along so much. We, uh, I had a radio show. We did a, we were doing a wrestling radio show last year that we kind of put on hiatus because of my baseball commitment, but it was a wrestling radio show Wednesday nights on 92, nine, the game in Atlanta, which is a big FM sports talk station. And I had her on and, uh, we were talking and I said, uh, it's great to be talking to you, uh, Deuce, because basically, you know, you and I've just been texting back and forth the last couple of months. She said, well, do you mean texting or sexting? And that's how, that's her, that's, that's just kind of her. She's got a great attitude and a lot of fun. I saw her reconnected with her face to face at uh, WrestleCon before WrestleMania in Orlando. Uh, and uh, we got to see each other and talk, still get, stay in touch with uh, Terry Runnels. Uh, I love Marlena. And, and I just remember her more as a, you know, makeup girl than I do a star. Never met Francine. Uh, at all, mm -hmm. but man, when I, when I saw Francine come out and that first ECW show that I saw, yeah. uh, I, I was just, I was smitten. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm telling you because it's just, it was something, there was something about her. I don't know what it was that was glamorous, but then had a great edge to it as well. Yeah. And I can't explain it, but I just, and of course now it's kind of been a thing. You know, I, I sang, you know, come on Francine, uh, <laughs> uh, like you sing, come on Eileen. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, and we've connected on, on social media, which is good. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, look, Hey Sam, I, and I say this a lot and, and I mean this, my best friend in high school was a girl. Right. Uh, and I, and I always got along with women, always got along with women Clearly. because I find, yeah, I find them funny. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know what I love? Mm. I, I love gossip. That's not about me. Oh my God. Isn't it the best? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, <laughs> you know, I worked at, uh, I worked at Starbucks for a while uh -huh. and I would go in the Starbucks in the morning and I would work with like, oh, I don't know, five girls, uh, 30 and under. 
<laughs> and it was wonderful. <laughs> it, it really was. And we all became friends. And Lois said, that's your harem. Go, go, go pour coffee with your harem in the mornings. And we would talk and they would talk about, you know, the boss and they would talk about, you know, uh, they would talk about people that they knew. Oh, it was it was just absolutely wonderful. That's so incredible. Uh, I've always got along with them. I really have. I, and uh, it's uh, this is this has been a lot of fun, man. It really has. To the and I, I don't know Sam and, and has anybody gotten uh, has anybody gotten pissed at you for for criticizing their stuff? No, I don't think so. Yeah, because uh, it's, uh, it, it's 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 comedy. It's done I mean, in humor. It really, yeah, it, it really is. And it's uh, I heard Scott Steiner was pissed at us. Yeah, I heard uh, that too. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to find out. Because I'm going to be in Waynesboro, Virginia, October 20th, I believe, and he's going to be there too. So we'll find oh, out if he is or not. Uh, but you know, I mean, if Scott really listen really listens to us, he'll know how much we put them over because we have. I mean, they they were the greatest tag team of that era, I thought. And Scott Steiner was spectacular. Some of the things that he could do. So we we do that, but we also you know talk about and even there there was a sign on. Uh, <laughs> there was a sign on thunder somebody sent to me a guy put it up and and somebody sent it to me on social media and i told lois i said turn on uh, thunder i said turn on smackdown oh i was so, about to say <laughs> what the hell people okay. on time machines yeah senior moment here coming up so i said turn on smackdown and she turned it on and that sign said ham cubes hard way <laughs> easy way your choice okay <laughs> So I thought, wow, what have we done? <laughs> but but I but I do have a concern, and I, I'm just going to voice my concern about all this. Please do. Uh, 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 Conrad is not concerned about it. Mm-hmm. My concern is that, uh, and we we've we've really developed pretty good fan base here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concern is that we're getting too silly, and I, I hope it doesn't come to that because I'm having fun. But you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of you know they. I, I really think that uh, I really think that they developed 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff because Shivani wasn't giving fans enough behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, well, there's no way I can compete with giving fans behind-the-scenes stuff compared to the guy that ran the company. Well, that's right, and that's why yeah. I think that that your your goofiness is is yeah. kind of what's kept the show alive. I think without yeah. the goofiness, we'd go like, okay, we're going to move on. But instead, yeah. you know, here's the thing. While, you know, you might think it's getting too silly, all these fans that are like, well, I thought we were going to get more behind the scenes are all sticking around. Right. Because they like, you know, they, they, wrestling fans, Conrad is trying to corner the market on all wrestling fans. So Conrad's going to be like, okay, we got WWE stories, we got WCW stories. And when you're done with these sort of behind the scenes expose things and you just want to have fun, we got Tony. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to look at it, and uh, I, I. But you know, there's uh, again, I, I voice a concern because I just hope it gets to the point to where they say, "Ah, heard that, done that." That's one of Shivani's routines. But <laughs> the flip side of that is, is that Conrad's amazing. I mean, the 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 act, the actual what he's done in podcasting and the uh, uh, it's an old used term, the vision that he has had for us and our podcast, and now he's got Bruce and me and. Uh, He's got Bischoff. He's got these websites that he's come up with, and and we're making some money. We're going out live and doing things. He's just, you know, he's been the he's been the driving force behind all of this. He comes up with all these ideas, uh, and it's it's been an amazing ride. It really has. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big uh, I'm a big Conrad fan. He was not he was on the show 
recently. I mean, he's a, he's a, I, I, I love what he's done and I just think yeah. it's so, I think it's so cool. And I think it's, it's bringing, it's bringing wrestling forward in the sense that, you know, it's, it's bringing it into this podcast world, but right. it's also giving guys like you and Bruce and Eric and people who still have something to offer the opportunity to offer it in a way that's relevant. Yeah. You know, the fact that they got on the WWE network is mind blowing. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. It's absolutely, it's absolutely mind blowing. Uh, I was, uh, I was uh, backstage at, at Raw. Arn Anderson got me backstage. This was a Raw in Atlanta right before WrestleMania, mm-hmm. what they call the Go Home Show. Yeah. And I saw uh, Triple H, and he talked. He said, "Hey," he said, uh, "We're going to try to think of ways to get you on the network." <laughs> and and I went, "Are you sure about this?" He said, "Yeah, we're going to try to think of ways." He said, "I'll I'll, I'll be in touch with you." And I said, "Yeah, okay." Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but uh, to me, that you know that that wrestlers listen to it, yeah, uh, and uh, it, it's just just absolutely amazing. You know, and I found out that the wrestlers these days, just like the fans, have a pr- profound respect and love for what we did, and that means oh, yeah. a lot. Oh yeah, that means and, a lot. When I, you know, I got to tell you, Triple H, in terms of what he's doing over there, is doing some really outside the box stuff and is looking yeah. at, at looking at stuff like we just said that's that's popular not just for WWE but popular for wrestling fans right. and trying to bring that into the fold and I just think that that's uh it's yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah, I I I think he's listen, uh I remember Paul when he worked for us. Yeah. And he, he was he had a great personality and was a smart kid and was fun to talk to. So none of this surprises me, and I'm just basing that on my discussions with him. Uh, but there is, I think, uh, I, I think within the WWE office, and I don't know what this is. I, I think there is. Uh, I just think I got a lot of heat. Really? And yeah, I, I don't know why that is. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I do know why it is. I guess it's because I left Vince. And went back to WCW, uh, and uh, you know I really I told Vince and I and I really thought this when I first started there and in 1989 and and it was it was wonderful to work there you know compared to working at Jim Crockett Promotions, where we didn't have it we I didn't even know what an edit suite was until I got there. Uh, I I was I was going to I I was going to be there forever. This was going to be my final job, and then things started turning sour. Uh, as far as my announcing is concerned and Lois didn't like living there and it wasn't good for us to live there. It was expensive. So then about a year later it turned sour and I left and I think he was upset about that. Rather, he still holds that against me. I don't know, but you know, they, uh, uh, when we went down, uh, they never returned my calls and, uh, Kevin Dunn never returned my calls. At all. I mean, they didn't even call me back and say, hey, you know what? We didn't like your work. We don't want you. Right. Which I, I was I was I was a grown man at that time. And I can take that. That's fine. Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't have blamed him. But I just always thought that I have a lot of heat there. And there's there's no now recently as recently as the beginning of 2016, I decided, you know, I, this network is good and I love old matches. I really do. And I love going back back when I used to produce Coliseum videos. I would go back and back and then it was the library and look at just old TNTs, uh, you know, Tuesday night Titans, old, uh, just old, the old shows, all of the old stuff. And I love that stuff. So I thought now 
I, I can be a I was a damn good producer, I thought, with WCW, making sure that things look good. I wouldn't mind being a producer with the WWE, doing the, working in their network. So, and then Lois said, if you think we're moving back to Connecticut, you're wrong. <laughs> so, so anyway, but now the kids are out of the house. And so anyway, so I got in touch with my friend Tommy Carlucci. Yeah. And uh, I told Tommy, I said, I, I said, talk to Kevin Dunn, because Tommy and I haven't talked that much. And normally when we talk, we talk Yankees baseball. Uh, I said, get in touch with Kevin Dunn. I'd like to produce on the network. He said, okay. And I also called Vince's office and told one of his secretaries the same thing. So nothing happened. Nothing happened. I sent a text to Triple H. Uh, because, you know, if you're in wrestling, get anybody's number if you know somebody. Uh, and uh, I sent a text to Triple H, and I got a call from Mark Carano. And Mark said, uh, first of all, Vince, I never will forget this because I was in Waco, Texas. Uh, he said, uh, Vince and Paul, first of all, want to know how you're doing. Hmm. And then I paused thinking, boy, this is a BS line I'm listening to right now. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, I'm doing good. And he said, well, they got your message uh, and they uh, will be getting back with you. I'm thinking, oh, God, right. I don't know how long later it took, maybe two weeks later. I get a call on my cell phone. It's a 203 number, so I know it's Connecticut. It's Kevin Dunn, who... This is Kevin Dunn returning my call from 1990, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It's Kevin Dunn. And he says, hey, uh, we know you have an interest, but we have plenty of announcers right now. We don't need any more. And, and I went, I, I, I even raised my voice. I said, Kevin, do you guys even check your messages? I said, I don't want to be an announcer. I don't. I said, my announcing days are done. The announcing's a young man's deal now. You got these young, good-looking guys. Let them do their job. I said, I want to be a producer of your network. I want to look over old footage. I want to develop shows. I want to be responsible for the look of the network. And he said, well, that's something different. Uh, we certainly need producers. We'll get back with you. And I haven't heard back from him since then. So, Well, you know, I think stranger things have happened. Um, yeah, I know. You never say never in wrestling. I realize right. that. So all that combined tells me that I have heat there. And maybe it's because I pulled up stakes and left. Not so sure. Don't know, but that's fine because you know what? I'm doing okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're damn right you're doing okay. I could talk to you for hours, but I have to let you go. All right, um, buddy. You, you want to follow Tony Schiavone, of course, on What Happened When. That comes out every, what's that, Monday? Comes out Monday on Patreon, and that, of course, is our, uh, is our site for uh, fans who become our patrons. But it comes out on, drops on Wednesday on, uh, on, email, on all your regular podcast uh apps and uh, it drops on Wednesday morning now. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, free of charge nothing changes there. Right. But if you want a little bit more, it'll drop early for you on Monday and then you'll get all our videos and all of our, we have bonus episodes on Patreon as well. And that's patreon.com forward slash WHW Monday. Love it. And of course, MLW wrestling, you're the, uh, you're back yeah. to commentating. So isn't that crazy? It's amazing. It's amazing. The, it's the absolutely whole, crazy. The whole career is amazing. Tony, uh, we'll have to do this again soon. I appreciate you making the time. Sam, it was always great talking to you. Congratulations to you for what you've done, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk again soon. Okay, buddy? Thanks so much, man. 
Thanks for an incredible conversation to Tony Schiavone. And you know there's incredible conversations happening all the time here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. The best way to support this show, every single Thursday we put out a brand new episode. Uh, Not only should you be subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're getting your podcast, but leave a rating, leave a review, and subscribe to the premium version of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, available exclusively through Stitcher Premium. All you have to do is go to stitcher.com slash notsam. Sign up right there. You're going to get Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast completely ad-free at the exact same time every Thursday morning. And there is a bonus show that goes up every two weeks. It's called Captive Audience. It's where I sit down with somebody who normally may not be watching wrestling with me, And I try to explain to them in real time a show that we're watching together on the WWE Network. We've done pay-per-views. We've done TV shows. We've done it all. It'll be my dad. It'll be my wife, Jess. It'll be my buddy, Chuck, from high school. Whoever I can find, I trap them in the Not Sam studio. We turn on the WWE Network, and you can watch along with us. We've done the first episode of Nitro, the first episode of Raw. We've done Halftime Heat. We've done WrestleMania 9. We've done Spring Stampede 95. All in a format that allows you to watch on the WWE Network as I try to explain to the person next to me why this makes sense, why what's going on on television is going on, and why wrestling is so awesome. Captive audience available exclusively through Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast premium format on Stitcher Premium. Stitcher.com slash not Sam. Let's get back to the podcast. Here is Sam Roberts. Oh, make sure you support Tony in every single way that you can. He is a legend, and it is so fun to watch him succeed in this medium and, 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 to, and to see what the 2018 version of Tony Schiavone and his contributions to this, the sports entertainment universe, look like. It's really, really cool. So thanks for Tony. Uh, thanks to Tony for being a part of this show, and uh, I, I think that we'll get him on again uh, very, very soon as well as a lot of people over there from MLW. Hey, um, so a lot of people have been talking. There's been a conversation, before we get into the state of wrestling, there's been a conversation uh, that I've, I've seen pop up quite a bit this week, and it's about a secondary women's championship. Uh, there was one story that Becky Lynch said in an interview that she had pitched to the WWE that there be a women's tag team championship. Um, and then conversations started about whether or not it would be a good idea to have a women's tag team championship. Some people talked about whether a secondary women's championship, uh, in the singles area would be good, whether it was a women's intercontinental, women's United States, whatever it is, women's television championship, uh, whether that would be good. And I have to say that I think that having a women's money in the bank briefcase in play is a benefit to the women's division. It does add that secondary title, at least for part-time. It could be, in the case of Carmella, you know, a year of it almost, or in the case of Alexa Bliss, an hour of it. That's part of the magic of the money in the bank. But I do not think that there should be a secondary women's championship in any way, shape, or form, whether it's singles or a tag team. And here's why. The women's division 
has been shaped to be equal to that of the men's division. Uh, and that's been done through the Royal Rumble, that's been done through Hell in a Cell, through Money in the Bank, through the fact that women have headlined both Raw and SmackDown, to the fact that uh, women are having arguably the best matches on major pay-per-views. A lot of people were voting for uh, Asuka and Charlotte as the best match at WrestleMania this year, and those that weren't were saying that Ronda Rousey's mixed tag match was the best match at WrestleMania this year. At Money in the Bank, there were those saying that the best match was Nia Jax versus Ronda Rousey. So there's no doubt that the women's division is not a side division. And I say that to say that I have come around on the idea of women being exclusive to one brand. When the brand split first happened, I said you could put women on one brand and either tag teams or cruiserweights on the other brand. And I still think that there's a conversation to be had there, but I do don't think anymore the way that women have been portrayed when you're a traveling brand I think that the idea of not having the women with half the roster would be a hindrance and and it would be odd however I do think that splitting the women between two rosters still leaves you with two rosters that are too thin to add more championships it would limit it would not make more. It would limit the amount of matches that you could possibly have. If you had a tag team, let's say you had a, a women's SmackDown tag team championship. Let's say Becky Lynch and Naomi won it. Okay. You'd have Becky Lynch and Naomi versus the Iconics. You'd have Becky Lynch and Naomi versus uh, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. But after that, I mean... Are you going to start pulling people out? Maybe you could do, if Carmella were to lose the women's championship, you could have Carmella and James Ellsworth as a tag team in the women's division. I, there, there's just not. And then, with the attention put on the tag teams, it it shallows the depth of the women's championship, of the, of the single women's championship. Um, so I just, in, in my opinion, I think adding more gold to the women's division you would have to do it on both shows, right? So you couldn't just say, okay, well, what if we took away one of the women's championships and we just made it one women's champion and one women's tag team champion and it and it was split between the two brands? Well, you couldn't do that unless you were planning on doing it with the men's championships as well because we've spent so long uh, evening or trying to even out the playing field between men and women that if you now decided that unlike the men the women have to share a title between two brands. Well, now that's not really what we've been preaching the whole time. We're no, we're no longer practicing what we're preaching. I don't think it's an option to split the titles amongst two brands unless you're planning on doing that with the men's titles. And you can't do that with the men's titles because Brock Lesnar as the universal champion, he's gone. So if you can't have less championships for the men, I don't think, because the championships disappear. They leave. So it's nice to have the WWE championship in play when the universal title is gone. Even though it's not main eventing pay-per-views for whatever reason, it's just nice to have that there. What I do think should be happening in the women's division is far more storylines that are not based on championships. I think that the Iconics are a great example of that. The Iconics are able to, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, can create rivalries 
that are personal rivalries that are not based on championships. You know, I, I think that the reason that there's even a conversation about more championships being added to the women's division is just so that you can add something to it so that there's not just the women's championship and then the rest of the women are kind of floating and waiting for an opportunity. There's more to WWE than championships, you know, and if you watch a WWE pay-per-view, you know, you watch Money in the Bank. You got Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn. You've got, uh, 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 you know, Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass. You've got you've got several matches on every pay per view. Backlash. You had Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe. Several matches. Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal at Money in the Bank. Several men's matches on every pay per view that are not title matches, but still have a reason for being. Still have a story that's being told within the match. I don't think we should be pushing for a secondary women's championship. I think we should be pushing for more stories to be told independent of championships in the women's division. That is what I think is lacking. I think that that we should tell a story between, for instance, Bailey and Sasha Banks, which we'll get to in the state of wrestling. Bailey and Sasha Banks is a great example of what's going on. Now, this probably should have happened a month or two ago probably right after WrestleMania, but the Bailey sasha Banks story is a prime example of what needs to be happening throughout the Raw and SmackDown women's divisions. Personal stories that are not fixed around a championship. That, to me, is how you make the women's division even more interesting, and that, to me, is how you continue to even out these feels between the men and the women. That is where attention should be laid, not in the uh, 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 not in the championships, but in the personal rivalries and in the stories that are being told. That's how I feel. Uh, you can let me know how you feel on Twitter. Also, speaking of Twitter, I want you guys to tweet me hashtag ASS. Obviously, it stands for Ask Sam Something. Hashtag ASS. In uh, uh, very soon. And I'll put out a a call to action on Twitter. But I will probably be doing a special podcast um, where you guys get to ask me the questions. Ask Sam something. Uh, I want to know, after all this time, we're approaching 200 episodes, what do you guys want to know from me? I want to do a special episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast where you guys get to hashtag ASS. Ask Sam something. So whatever questions that you have for me, it could be my opinion. You know, I get emails all the time, my opinions on the current product, uh, questions about what I do and how I got to where I got, questions about my experiences within WWE, um, or just what would I do if I could do this and what do I think about, about this happening. Anything is on the table, and I look forward to hearing what you guys want to know when you hashtag ASS. Ask Sam something. Hit me up at NotSam on Twitter, at NotSam on Instagram. I will keep track of all your questions, and in an upcoming episode, I'll give you the shout-out by your Twitter names or whatever, and uh, and we will, we will play Ask Sam something. Hashtag ASS. Get it done uh, and be a part of this thing, all right? Let's enter in to the State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. And we say welcome to the state of wrestling as we go over the top five stories of the week, according to me. Uh, And we'll start with story number five, which was 
it's always fun. You know, I talked about this uh, a, a year and a half, two years ago, however long ago that first initial United Kingdom tournament was. I talked about this uh, when the Greatest Royal Rumble went down. There is something about afternoon wrestling that really reminds you how fun the WWE Network is. Now, this one was a little different because it wasn't live, but first time any of us had seen it, you know, I don't think most of us stateside had gotten a chance to travel across the pond and sit down in the Royal Albert Hall. Now, it was really fun that this show went down at the Royal Albert Hall because I remember I lived in England when I was a kid. I lived in Walton, Walton on Thames, on Ashley Drive. And I had Sky TV and they would do, I mean, WWE was big in England. I was my first WWE event live was SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium with 89,000 people right alongside with me watching Bret Hart defeat, I'm sorry, the British Bulldog defeat Bret the Hitman Hart. You'll have to forgive me. I was seven years old, but, or eight years old, maybe. Um, But this show, uh, and, and the reason why I bring up the Royal Albert Hall was because I remember when the WWE ran a special from the Royal Albert Hall. They did a big battle royal. Of course, the British Bulldog won from the Royal Albert Hall. And I remember as a kid, it was one of my favorite shows and I taped it and I watched it over and over again. And when I got to the States, I moved back here around 1993, nobody had seen it. None of my buddies that watched wrestling had seen this show. Um, and I was kind of, uh, I was I was flabbergasted by it because to me, I was like, yeah, of course everybody saw it, but it was one of the shows that they just did for Sky. So it was really cool to watch this generation and really, it's the next generation participate in this WWE show from the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, I thought that this year's NXT UK Championship Tournament was, you know, it's tough. Because I, I was going to say it was even better. And I think it was better in terms of defining what the future of WWE and NXT's relationship with the UK is. Right? Watching... The original United Kingdom Championship Tournament, it was cool to see all these guys that you weren't terribly familiar with. I'm going to be honest, before the original WWE UK Tournament, I wasn't terribly, I knew of, but I wasn't super familiar with the work of Mustache Mountain, with Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. You know, I you know I knew Mark Andrews from TNA, but I didn't know a, most of the guys that participated in that UK Tournament. Um, it, it was the first time we saw Alistair Black, then known as Tommy End, on TV. Now, he didn't participate in the tournament, but he was in a match there. Um, so, I and I thought it was spectacular. I mean, I thought, what an introduction for these guys. And that tournament, I, we're going to look back on that and this generation of UK talent as just a very special time in wrestling. I don't think that it is just a given that at any time you'll be able to turn on wrestling from the UK and see performers like we're seeing right now. But I do think that this is just a magical time for the UK in terms of pro wrestling. This show, and, and so so I think that the UK, the first UK tournament was really, really, really good for exposing certain talent. And that's the talent that we've seen uh, uh, in NXT and WWE since. You know, that that that's the coming out party for Pete Dunne, who I remember coming on this podcast and being like, that's my guy. 
He wasn't even the guy that won the tournament, but it was his night, in my opinion. Uh, Tyler Bate, too, but it, it, it was it was Pete Dunne's night, I think. Um, this tournament, this special, this two-day special, I think was better at making clear what NXT UK is and what the relationship with the UK is going forward. So Johnny Saint comes out and announces that there's two more UK dates coming up this summer, which I would imagine will be TV tapings because I would assume that if you're going to have a tag team championship, you're going to have a women's championship, you're going to have the UK championship, and NXT UK is a full-fledged brand with its own general manager. By the way, William Regal, Johnny Saint, just British dudes controlling NXT. But I would have to imagine that this is going to be a TV show going forward. And I can finally see there have always been rumors about a UK show being shown on WWE Network. And after the championship tournament, it was like, you've got the talent, but I don't know what the show is. After this week and this two-night, two-day, whatever you want to call it, special that the WWE Network aired from Royal Albert Hall, now I know what the show is. I thought they did a phenomenal job of sprinkling in NXT talent. Uh, I thought the idea of breaking up the tournament with NXT, with super, with matches that involved NXT superstars was great. I thought that doing like the women's triple threat that had ramifications where the winner would take on Shayna Baszler the next night, all of a sudden, even people that don't know who any of the performers are now care about the results. Right, we all know who Pete Dunne is. We all know who Shayna Baszler is. We all get to see, uh, you know, the Mustache Mountain trifecta take on the Undisputed Era. We care about stuff like that, and it elevates the UK performers. It makes it so where the cruiserweight division is like, yeah, but this is just going on over here. When you inject the UK division with NXT talent it lets you know the UK division is on that NXT level and you can expect that level of performance and you can give it that level of importance when you watch. And I thought night two was especially important for that reason, that it night two cemented what the NXT UK brand is and how much it can hang with the big leagues. So I think that like... uh, uh, you look at getting over new talent, and I think, of course, Zach Gibson winning the tournament and then going on to have that amazing match with Pete Dunne. We're all going to remember Zach Gibson. But I really thought putting Flash Morgan Webster and Travis Banks into, with Mark Andrews, and, of course, the returning Gnome Dar, into that fatal four-way for the number one contendership spot, I think that it really did wonders at getting those two specifically so the tournament did did good for Zach Gibson, but I think Flash Morgan Webster and Travis Banks being involved in that match, because those really were the two names that I remembered specifically coming off of that tournament. There were other names, don't get me wrong, but I really locked in on those two names. And the fact that they were taken out of that tournament space and put into a match that has ramifications for the future of NXT UK really, for me, made it, Something where I go, okay, those guys are important. Those guys are guys that I need to watch. Those guys are, for lack of a better term, superstars. But I had a, a, just a ton of fun watching the shows, and I think that, that they did an excellent job. 
of laying a foundation for what could be a really cool brand to watch. I'm very, very excited. You know, I talked at the beginning of the podcast this week about how excited I was for the future of of wrestling in general. But a big part of that is because I think the NXT UK brand has the potential to be something really, really special on the WWE Network. I just think it's really, really cool. Uh, Moving on to story number four, and you talk about things being special and uh, really, really cool, is Charlotte Flair in the ESPN body issue. And while this isn't necessarily a wrestling story, I think it is because this goes along with what we'll talk about later in the show or or, or in this segment um, about the, the mainstreaming of WWE. Of, of this idea that, you know, there's never been a wrestler in the ESPN body issue. And this is something they've been doing for a long, long time. I didn't even know ESPN had a magazine until they started posting these these photos. And this is, you know, I, it, it's big news every single year. You get these big athletes to pose nude. There's a curiosity about that. It's big news every single year. It's the only time of the year I get reminded that ESPN has a magazine. But Charlotte Flair being a part of that, to me, I believe, is a huge, huge deal. Great representative. She looks amazing in these photos in the sense that every part of her, right? You look at these photos of Charlotte Flair, and she's in her wrestling poses, but she's nude. And every part of her screams athlete. There is something about seeing Charlotte Flair in that state where you can tell how much work she's done and how strong and athletic she is that instantly when you look at those photos, it has you taking women's wrestling more seriously, which is interesting because, you know, you had times for different, and obviously ESPN does things in such a way where you're not going to see the naughty parts, quote unquote. But, you know, I think Playboy spreads, for example, it makes women's wrestlers seem like bigger stars, but it doesn't make people take women's wrestling more seriously. It made the the divas at the time that were featured in Playboy into more mainstream household names, but it didn't make people stop and say like, oh my God, she must be a hell of an athlete. They were just like, oh my God, look at this gorgeous woman. With the ESPN body issue, I think that with all the press it's getting and with who she's coupled with in that magazine, with all the you know the, the athletes that are in there with her, I think that, that those pictures do something that not a lot of people could pull off. And it's this sort of instantaneous, I take this a little more seriously. For people who don't watch wrestling, for just your average sports fan that's watching that going like, wow, this woman is an athlete. This is what's going on. This is what women's wrestling looks like now. And that's the reaction we should be getting. That's what, to me, the women's revolution and evolution is about. That's women's wrestling now. That's not what women's wrestling used to be. And that's the message that Charlotte Flair, I think, gets across in that ESPN body issue. That's what women's wrestling looks like. She's a serious athlete. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's it's really, really good for her. And I think it's really, really good for the industry and for women's wrestling in general. I just think it's a good it's a good look as they say. It's a good look. And speaking of women's wrestling, let's get into some storylines. Let's talk about what happened on Raw and the question is, story number 3. Is Bailey a heel? Is Bailey a heel? Now, I loved what I saw from Bailey at the end of that match on Raw. 
I love it. I didn't let, you know, Raw was a lot of great matches on Raw this week, but a lot of wonky setups. It seemed like a lot of pairing off, a lot of weird tag teams, like just, 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 wonky setups for me on Raw, but a lot of pretty cool results, right? A lot of uh, weird directions to get there. But a lot of the destinations left us with something to talk about. And the question is, is Bailey a heel? And was the intention for her to be a heel in that interaction with Sasha Banks? Now, I left that, and, and I bring this up because a lot of people on Twitter were talking about it. And a lot of just wrestling fans I found were talking about this. For me, I left that interaction thinking, no. Bailey is finally standing up for herself. Bailey is a babyface here. You know, Sasha Banks for months has been acting selfishly as a character, you know. And so this is Bailey finally standing up for herself. I had this moment of, yes, finally, Bailey, right? And I think a lot of people did. So if the intention was to make Bailey a heel, I don't think it was effective. But, you know, I also don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, I think anybody watching that, Anybody listening to crowd reactions off that? Anybody monitoring the way fans are responding to that? The only people that are saying Bailey is a heel now are people that are kind of looking at, you know, what, well, wrestling philosophy dictates that. They're not going from their actual feelings, right? I don't think anybody watching that, the idea of somebody turning heel is not like, okay, we're watching like robots, and we know this list of things that happen. And if we see this list of things happen, that means they're a heel. For somebody to turn heel, we need to feel like they're doing something dastardly. We need to feel like they're doing something that, like, that, that, that's not fair, that this isn't right. And that's not the feeling that I got from Bailey doing that to Sasha Banks. And maybe I've been skewed because Corey Graves has been so hard on Sasha Banks on commentary over the last several months, pointing out that Sasha Banks uh, is not trustworthy and that Sasha Banks will stab people in the back. And the problem is that even if Corey Graves was being a heel in the sense that, you know, he was saying Sasha Banks is no good because we're supposed to disagree with him as fans, what he was saying was true. You know, the stuff that he pointed out about what Sasha Banks was doing storyline-wise was kind of true. She was acting selfishly. She did betray Bailey multiple times, whether it was the Royal Rumble or the Elimination Chamber or whatever it was. Tag team matches on Raw. Like, she was the one who abused Bailey's trust over and over and over again. So I don't think you can look at what happened on Raw as Bailey turning heel. I think you can look at what happened on Raw as that moment of Bailey going, I'm not going to fight you, I'm not going to fight you, I'm not going to fight you. Okay, it's on and going for it. I love it. Uh, it's a long time coming. Uh, I, I think that this should be a feud. I think that we should give Bailey and Sasha Banks the opportunity to tear down the house. I'm a little bit nervous because I want this match to happen at SummerSlam. I don't want this match to happen on Raw. I don't want, want this match to happen at Extreme Rules. I want this match to happen not in Pittsburgh at Extreme Rules, but in Brooklyn at SummerSlam. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn is known every year as the takeover show to watch. And that started because of the match that Sasha Banks and Bailey had. Right? You look at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 1. 
And what are the standouts? The reaction that Enzo and Cass got when they first came out? Absolutely something to write home about because you go, okay, this is it. We are here. That's before anybody realized how big NXT was. Ladder match between Finn Balor and Kevin Owens? Absolutely. But what is the match that people leaving that building were talking about? What is the match that to this day people talk about? And that's the match between Bailey and Sasha Banks. It, that, that, there's a reason why that match led to an Iron Man match between Bailey and Sasha Banks. But what could be more poetic justice than to return to the scene of the crime? They're both on the main roster now. They've got an axe to grind. They tore down the house at NXT Brooklyn 1. Now, four years later, the night after NXT Brooklyn 4, they're back in Brooklyn, and they come there, not to steal TakeOver, but we bring the same match in front of that crowd to steal SummerSlam. Bailey and Sasha Banks in the Barclays Center at SummerSlam, We may not have SummerSlam in the Barclays Center next year. We don't know yet. This is your opportunity to do it. This is your opportunity to do do something special. And for me, I think you got to stretch this thing out. You got what? Two, two and a half weeks before Extreme Rules? You can avoid that. And let this thing simmer all summer. Let this thing build and build and build and build until finally you get your blow off. I want Bailey versus Sasha Banks at SummerSlam. Will the WWE be able to hold off for that long? I don't know. You know, I try to stay optimistic. I hope so, but I really don't know. They should, though. They absolutely should. Uh, before we move on from Raw entirely, of course, uh, you know, Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley, I think they're doing that thing, same thing that Roman, really what Roman does as of late, which is try to do storylines that feel like they're reality-based and not storyline-based. Um, but I think in order to do that, Bobby and Roman need to get more personal. You know, it's not just Roman calls him Bob. Roman had a moment where he said, uh, you know, you went to MMA, you didn't exactly make an impact or whatever he said, and that was kind of a play on words, I thought. But really, we should talk about it. If we're going to talk about the fact that Bobby left, Bobby should be talking about the fact that he needs to come and dig Roman out of this hole. I thought you were the guy. Everybody boos you. Everybody's sick of you. You know what I mean? I, I think we really need to play into the reality of what's going on with Roman Reigns and with Bobby Lashley. I think Roman should point out the fact you've been here since WrestleMania. What have you done? Nothing. You know what I mean? I, I think we need to get real with these guys and and really light this candle. Really, if we're going to do it at Extreme Rules, make it an Extreme Rules match and give these guys a reason. Give these guys a score to settle. I think that that's important. Uh, and of course, you know, you speaking speaking of matches and scores to settle and things like that, I mean, what a phenomenal match between Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler, huh? Dolph Ziggler's career is just amazing. You talk about a guy who one would assume is done. How many times throughout Dolph Ziggler's career have you been like, okay, he's got, he's had his opportunities. Dolph is kind of done. To watch him at this point in his career be able to come out and show up and be the Intercontinental Champion the way he is, unbelievable. Fant- I wouldn't have predicted it, but fantastic opponent for Seth Rollins. Drew McIntyre is a wonderful compliment to the whole act, and I just loved I thought it was a great main event for Raw. They gave it enough time. The whole thing 
you know, apparently I read on the internet that uh, TJ was the was the producer for that match. Now, I, I you know, I, I think that I think that producers, of course, deserve credit. But when we as fans start trying to figure out who the producers are to give them credit and blah, 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 that's when we start overstepping a little bit. You know, I if I had, uh, you know, TJ Tyson Kidd on this podcast, I would ask him all about the matches that he produced and, and complimented him. But when we're going segment by segment and finding out, you know, who all the people are, it's like, let's let's take a moment to just watch the show, right? But whoever, if TJ was the producer, he did a fantastic job, but hats off to Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins. Just thought it was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We move to story number two. Also awesome. A good week for WWE TV, in my opinion. Uh, I did not see the return of Team Hell No coming. And I like it, you know. You, you, you don't know, who knows where Daniel Bryan was going. I would have assumed, I would assume that even though we'll never know because Big Cast left, I would assume that that story was done anyway. I can't imagine that they were going to try to get another pay-per-view out of Big Cass and Daniel Bryan. Unless Big Cass was going to find himself a partner and Kane and Bryan were originally teaming up to take on Cass and somebody else. But if Kane was brought back to make up for uh, something, if, if Big Cass being let go from the company was a hindrance to the point where they had to change storylines around and that's why they're bringing Kane back, good on you. Because as we've talked about, Daniel Bryan is at this interesting point where to me, if he's not going to be in the world title scene, we've got to do something with him, right? He's still got to be a high-level competitor. This still has to be a big deal to see Daniel Bryan competing. So I think reuniting Team Hell No, uh, everybody loved that team. Nobody, you know, when when they find when they ended the Team Hell No run, people could have would have hung out for more. Not to say they ended it too early, but they didn't make it last too long. You know, people were still people. They left people wanting more, which is exactly what you should do in any form of entertainment because you can do stuff like this. You can go back to it, and that's exactly what they're doing. I think it's uh, certainly the most interesting thing Kane has done in a long time, and it's going to give Daniel Bryan something that he can sink his teeth into without it being too much, you know, or, or without it being like, okay, but we're distracting from the issue. Eventually, eventually he'll get the Miz. But this is what we talked about, you know, when, when this all first happened uh, with Daniel Bryan coming back and everything, I said my preference would be that he doesn't settle his score with the Miz until WrestleMania. That's just such a huge match that you've got sitting there. Wait for the wait for the perfect time. You know, I don't know what's going to happen between Rusev and AJ Styles, but hopefully that's just a holdover. If it's up to me, The Miz wins the WWE Championship at SummerSlam, holds it until WrestleMania where he defends it against Daniel Bryan. If it's up to me, that's where we go. But in the meantime, putting Daniel Bryan with Kane, I think is about as close to genius as you're going to get because it will give us something where we're going like, yeah, Daniel Bryan is killing it right now without us going, why isn't he wrestling for the championship? Why aren't we having this match with The Miz? That, I think, is important. You have to figure out what that storyline is that's going to keep us interested in Daniel Bryan and stop us from asking, why isn't the match that we want to see happening? Why isn't it happening? Well, because right now we're at Team Hell No. 
And that's, that, to me, is why I think it's so good. I was really happy to see it happen. You know, I thought it, it was orchestrated perfectly. Daniel Bryan's looking at him. Kane's looking at him. Handshake. And then they hug it out. You know, hopefully they bring the, the, the good doctor back. Uh, I, they were great together when they were doing it. And I think that Daniel Bryan needs that sort of... He needs to be eased back in. He hasn't quite eased back in to the fold yet because he hasn't done anything. Like, the storyline with Big Cass was just... You know, Daniel Bryan is smaller than Big Cass is. We need more than that. We need something to remind us how good Daniel Bryan is, and this will probably be the story that does it. Speaking of how good people are, no podium, SmackDown? Can't throw Renee Young on that podium, huh? You just can't do it. Can't keep a good thing going. Get the podium back, put Renee Young on there, have a superstar on there with her, special interview time with Renee Young. Easy, easy. I shouldn't have to spell it out for you at this point. Number one story of the week, and it relates to SmackDown, is that it's official. The TV deals uh, have officially been announced. They've been signed. Press releases are out. The $1 billion deal that uh, Fox is apparently paying for SmackDown over five years is official. And it really puts WWE on a new pedestal. So we're looking at SmackDown moving to Fridays. This doesn't go down until October of 2019. We're over a year away from all of this actually happening. Raw stays on USA, exactly where it is. USA is paying even more money for it, which is great for WWE. But SmackDown, Fox is paying a billion dollars for it. And they're going to be on Fridays on the Fox Network. Channel 5 here in New York, whatever network it is by you, whatever the affiliate is. Um, And it's just such... Huge news. It's such mainstream news for WWE. And, you know, you think about it, and the criticism that people have had is, well, you know, when it's bad, there's nothing motivating WWE to make it better because they're making all this money from their TV deals, because the ratings don't matter like they used to, because there's no competition, because da-da-da. Look, we're living in a best-of-both-worlds scenario. If what you're looking for is for WWE to become this mainstream product that people respect, something that, as wrestling fans, a lot of us have wanted for many, many, many years. We're starting to get it. We're getting closer and closer and closer to the point where WWE is being treated like a mainstream television property, like a valuable commodity. At the same time, you're going, well, I'm a hard, I'm just, I don't care about all that. I'm a hardcore wrestling fan. I just want good wrestling on TV, and I have not liked Raw and SmackDown. You know, it's too mainstream. It's too PG. It's too bland. It's not what I'm looking for. No problem. Because NXT, TakeOver, NXT UK, the stuff that's on the network is running on all cylinders. I'm interested to see if 205 Live picks up with guys like Leo Rush on. But the stuff that's going on on NXT and the stuff that's going on with NXT UK satisfies that. So you've got it all. You've got the hardcore wrestling and you've got the mainstream credibility. It's amazing. We've never been anywhere near this in the history of wrestling, in my opinion. Also, we're living in a world where sanity and the authors of pain have both been found. I don't know if WWE is listening to this podcast, but, you know, Within a couple of weeks, we go, where is sanity? Where are the authors of pain? Here they are, Sam. Why isn't Bobby Lashley and, and Roman Reigns fighting each other? Here you go, Sam. Oh, and by the way, thanks for the ideas. 
Fox just gave us a billion dollars. WWE, FTW, for the win. I'm happy about it. And and I think all wrestling fans should be. There are those that, that try to paint this as, you know, something other than positive, and I just don't see it. You know, I think I think it's really, really cool what WWE is doing, and they are staking their claim in this world of new media. It is very, very difficult in 2018 to survive as an organization, an entertainment entity that has been around for the years that WWE has been around. Most entertainment entities do not evolve enough. It's like if something's popular in 85 by the time we get to 97, it's over, right? WWE evolves to the times and is just as popular as ever. If something's that popular in 97, by the time we get 20 years into the future, the world will have passed it by. Nope. WWE is the first organization of its size to put so much into their over-the-top network, uh, to, to, to make so much available digitally, uh, uh, to, to concentrate on social media. I mean... People do not understand. You look at YouTube and you're like, yeah, well, you know, YouTube content creators are like the future, right? WWE is like, you know, one of the top 10 channels in the world. WWE is one of the top 10 YouTube channels in the world. People forget. It is amazing to watch a company evolve the way WWE is evolving into new media. And it is a very, very difficult thing to do. And I, you would be hard-pressed to tell me that there are companies that are doing it a ton better. And they're staking their claim the way Major League Baseball and the National Football League and basketball and all you know all these orga- sports organizations are saying, look, as television becomes over the top, as, as entertainment becomes on demand, live TV and television that you have to watch in the moment is becoming more and more valuable. That's why those NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL contracts, golf contracts are not going down. They're going up because advertisers want to be on platforms where people are not going to fast forward through their commercials. There's not a lot of entities left that you need to watch live. Your favorite TV shows, it used to be Thursday, 8 o'clock, Friends is on. I've got to be there for Friends. What do we watch now? Atlanta. Atlanta is one of my favorite shows. But guess what? I didn't watch the second season until it was over. And then I sat down, you know, over the course of a couple weeks with the FX app. And I watched every episode of Atlanta. Because I don't need to sit there on whatever night, Thursday at 1030, and be like, okay, let me remember to watch that. But WWE, you do. And WWE is recognizing WWE is so good at recognizing what they're good at. And that's what they're selling themselves on. And they're successful at it. It's a really cool thing to see. And as has been the theme of this entire episode, it's left me feeling good. Thank you for joining us this week on the State of Wrestling. Thank you for joining us on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to tweet me. Hashtag ASS. Ask Sam something, of course. Uh, Be a part of this podcast on an upcoming episode. I will be answering your questions, okay? That's what we'll do for the interview segment. You will ask me what you want to know. Hashtag ASS, ask Sam something. This has been the State of Wrestling. This has been Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and we will see you next week. Same Sam time, same Sam channel. 
Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.